this morning, I'm going to get into a message. It's just a standalone message. And uh, don't worry, it is Palm Sunday. I, I realize that, and we're going to get there. But I want to share some things with you this morning. Uh, a bit of a, if you want to call it this, a bit of a warning, a bit of a, actually the title of my message is even pay attention. And uh, so kind of listen up. And, uh, and there's just some things that I, that I really want to share. I mean, how many of you can agree with this, though, is that you can be pretty vulnerable to temptation and frustration when you're at a low place of strength or maybe you're in the middle of a trial or a battle? How many of you know that you can be pretty tempted to, like, just throw in the towel? It, it, when things get hard, it, temptation starts looking pretty good. Like, the options, you start looking around. And other things, hey man, what else is there? And But I want to submit another thought to you today. And I believe that it's kind of the, the flip side of this coin. But I believe that we can be equally, as if not more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy on the heels of our greatest victories, our greatest breakthroughs, and even some of the most powerful experience that we have in the presence of God. You know, in January, the Lord dropped in my heart, uh, which I've never done this. And so this was the first year that I really felt like the Lord gave me like a word. He's given it for me personally, but never like for the church. Um, is that this wasn't the, just the year of breakthrough, but this was the year of breakout, right? And, and so part of it, I want to remind you of that, but I also want to uh, remind you of what happens on the other side of your breakout too. Uh, because this can happen in many different ways in your life. And, 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 and I believe that we can become very susceptible and very open to the attacks of the enemy once we get through what we've gone through. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you take that deep breath, you're like, whoo, made it. Got here. Like, you know, I got that financial breakthrough. Got, man, my, our prayers got answered. Our, our kid, you know, that situation we've been praying about, our marriage is getting healthy and getting strong. And, and so then you, but you start dropping your guard a little bit. And that's when the enemy will come in and pounce. Why? Because for lack of a better term, we can fall asleep at the wheel and the enemy is watching. And, and so, you know, um, in the mid sixties, there's a guy named Paul Harvey who wrote a thing. You can go look this up online. I'm not going to read any of it for the sake of time, but it says, but it's entitled, if I were the devil and he begins to write, if I were now, this was in the mid sixties. So you can do the math. And he says, if, if I was a devil, this is what I would do. And he begins to basically almost write the script for what we've seen play out over the last 60 years in our nation, which is pretty incredible how accurate it actually is. Because he goes through and says, this is what I would attack. I would do this with this. I'd do this with this. And then and he, and he sums it up in this. He says, if I were the devil, I would just convince everybody that I'm not there. And there is a sentiment in our culture today that, oh, heaven's not real, hell's not real, Satan's not real. It's, it's just a figment. It, it, it's just something that we use. But yet there is actual truth according to the word of God. And if you hold to that scriptures are real and true, which they are, which our culture doesn't like because you're like, well, you're making an absolute statement. I absolutely am. Is that the word of God is true. You know, and if the Bible says that we have an enemy, then guess what? We have an enemy. And, and so I, I think that we need to, to pay attention and, and to really look at some things. And so I really want to, uh, not just as a way of warning, but I actually want to encourage you today in this. Um, and I'll show you some things here in a few minutes, but is that we have to pay attention to our soul. Like, I'll give you an example of this. The other night I was in my backyard, I'm, I'm rebuilding a fence on the back of my property and 
I wasn't paying attention as much as I should have. And I'm holding a, a, a two by four and I'm hammering it. And I just had the thought and looking back on it, I'm like, that was the Holy Spirit trying to help me out. And I didn't listen. And I'm hammering away and, it, and I had the thought, don't hit your hand. Guess what I did? Bam! Right there. I just said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it hurts right now. Like this was several days ago. You know, but what happened? I wasn't paying attention. I could have heeded the warning and not swung as hard or maybe just moved my hand down the board a little bit further because I wasn't right there by the front. I thought, I know what I'm doing. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak and he'll try to nudge us because here's the thing, he will not push. He'll give you a little nudge. And in that moment, I got to realize I was not listening to the Holy Spirit. And guess what was the result? A sore hand. And a lot of pain in the moment. But, you know, but there are some things that I believe that, that we need to be paying attention. I think when we're, when we're in the middle of our struggle or the middle of, of, of we're kind of in the middle of a hard time, is that we need to be paying attention. But we also need to be paying attention in the really good times too. And it's easy to let our guard drop when all of our prayers, when we're like, I don't really have a prayer list right now. Things are just good. You need to start praying. Because there are some things that, that you need to be praying about. There are some things you need to be taking to the Lord. But whether the, the circumstances are favorable or less than favorable, we have to keep watch over our souls. The, our souls are really the battleground as to who's winning in your life, if it's God or the devil. That, that is the battle. It's our soul. It's our, our souls, our mind, our wills, our, our emotions, our thoughts, our intellect. That's all comprised in our soul. And the enemy's going to attack us there. And so we've got to really be looking and paying attention. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures here to you. And it's actually picking up on the verses that I read uh, with Sean and Wendy as well. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, this is just a good verse. So I'm just adding it. It has nothing to do with my topic, but it's just a good verse anyways. Sometimes you just need to read a good scripture because it's a good scripture. It ain't got to be part of the sermon. So, but it is part of the context of the scripture here. So starting in verse 5, it says, You who are younger must accept the authority of your elders. And everybody say, and all of you. Is everybody included in all? All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. You know, humility is a choice. Now, if we refuse to choose it, the Lord can be forced to humble us, but that is not his plan. His plan is that we choose it. And here he says that we're to, to humble ourselves when we relate to one another, which ultimately is the law of love in 1 Corinthians 13. In other words, don't think of yourself better than anybody else. Be humble. Think less of yourself. And see, here's the thing about this is that everybody has an elder. I don't care if you're the oldest person in the room or the youngest person in the room. Everybody can learn from somebody, whether it be by age or by experience. We can all learn from one another. And in fact, we need to learn from one another, but it requires humility to learn. Because if you know it all, what are you going to teach me? So the moment that we have that kind of attitude, we've closed the door to our ability to learn. And I mean, let's be honest, who likes to know it all? I mean, we all hated the kid in class. It's like, teacher's like, I got a question. 
I got the answer. Like, we all hated that kid. Like, I ain't raising my hand. They're going to go ahead. Nobody likes that kid. Right? Unless... Do we have any of those kids in this room? I don't know. I know everything about everything. All right. So here's, the other, here's another part of this is that, uh, is that we don't want to be a know-it-all, but we have to listen to learn and not just listen to respond. You ever been in an argument with somebody and you ain't listening to get their point of view? Whoa. We're just listening to respond and get our point of view back how many know what i'm talking about there's a big difference it's like i'm just working on my rebuttal if you don't know what i'm talking about go watch congress for about two seconds they're not listening to one another they're just talking they got their point they want to get to it so the verse picks up here in verse six i'm sorry in verse five it says, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor and give, it says, and to give all of your worries and your cares to God, for he cares for you. Other translations say, cast all of your care on the Lord. The Amplified Bible says it this way, for he affectionately and attentively watches over you. And that sounds awesome. It sounds like, man, this is in, in really in a way, this is kind of like, hey, I have no problems. Jesus is going to take care of everything. I'm just going to pray. And here you go, Jesus. It sounds pretty awesome. I'm just trusting Jesus. I ain't got a care in the world. You ever get around those people? It kind of irritates you a little bit. If you're honest. It's like, I need you to care a little bit. And they're just, nope. God's going to take care of it. You know, you, we hear these things. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just too blessed to even be stressed. And I'm like, well, I'm stressed for you. I need you to stress a little bit. Because I don't think you're taking this opportunity seriously enough, right? And they just, I mean, they're just in the glory cloud of the Lord. Just, ah. And many times we quote this verse by itself. Oh, we got to cast our cares upon the Lord. The very next verse is another verse that we don't put them together. There's verse 7, and then there's verse 8. And so in a way, and for the sake of our conversation this morning, we're instructed to give all of our cares and our worries, everything that's weighing us down to the Lord. And in verse 8 it says, but stay alert. Don't drop your guard. Pay attention. Don't just be like, okay, Lord, you got to fix it all. Now I'm just, I'm going to go have my... It's all rainbows and butterflies and unicorns over here. Ain't got a care in the world. But the instructions are stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion. The key word there is like. Like a roaring lion. It says looking for someone to devour says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. One of the things that I believe as Christians is that we need to learn to be strong in our faith. We need to know what the word of God has to say and why we believe it, not just because, well, that's what they told me when I grew up in church. Like, how many of you know that's not a good answer? 
Like, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe what you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? I mean, one of the things in that thing that I mentioned a minute ago about um, Paul Harvey, if I were the devil, one of the statements he makes is, I would reduce um, Christianity to just a religion, and I would take Easter and make it about an egg. Some of what he said. And as, as, as believers, man, we, we need to stand firm. Why? Because we have an enemy. The Bible says that he doesn't like us at all. As a matter of fact, does he not only not like us, he is adversarial. But the good news is that he's already been defeated, but we have to enforce his defeat. Sometimes we look at, at Easter or um, a moment like these or, and we think about Jesus on the cross. We're like, oh, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. And that's true. But you're going to have to enforce that truth in your day-to-day life, if it's going to have any actual um, weight or change in your day-to-day. You have to enforce it. So think of yourself like a cop. Don't let the devil come speeding through your zone. Nope, you can't come through here. Nope, that's not what God said to me. That's not God's promise for me. And so we need to be able to stand strong, to stand firm. See, I believe that we should be mindful and aware of the enemy's attacks when the struggle is real. And sometimes it's really real. And we're really aware of it because, man, it's just staring us in the face. But other times it's easy to just slip into the, the comfort and the ease. And, 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 you know, like I'll say it this way. When people, when their back's against the wall, man, you get some praying saints. Like I remember, m- most of you in the room will remember this. Some of you won't because you weren't alive yet. But I remember... Post 9-11, that next Sunday, churches were slammed everywhere. Like, man, we didn't even know we had this many people in our city. And they showed up at church. Why? Because their backs were against a wall and they were searching for answers. But what about when things are good? It's easy to slip away from our prayer life, to slip away from our, our word life, to slip away from our connection with God, even though it is so vital. Because here's the truth for you, by the way. How many of you know that God can live without us? But how many of you know that we can't live without him? And when I say live, I don't mean breathing. I mean like functioning in the reason that you were created. You can't do that without him. His, his breath in, in Genesis 2, it, it says that, that God breathed onto Adam and breathed life into his nostrils. And then he became a living being. It wasn't until the breath of God came into Adam that he became alive. And so when things are all going your way and things are just clicking along and all your prayers are getting answered. And, you know, you just sense the presence of God and everything's good. And you finally got through your trial. Now you've got this powerful testimony of what God's done for you. You begin to relax a little bit. Kind of drop the guards a little bit. Maybe a little too much. Now I only say that because I've done this. So I consider myself ashamedly an expert at this. That you drop your guards a little bit. and And that's when the enemy pounces. You know when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days right before he started his earthly ministry says that the enemy came and tempted him for 40 days. We'll look at this in a minute, but this particular account, uh, or well, the previous part to it, but 
Jesus gets baptized, has this amazing moment, and the Bible says that he was led into the, to the wilderness to be tempted and tried of the enemy for 40 days. And it says at the end when the enemy realized, well, I'm not getting anywhere, it says that he left for a more opportune moment. In other words, he said, hey, I'm not winning right now, but I'm going to come back. And the enemy will always try to come back. He, he, that's just who he is. And, and so let me read you a scripture, a, a, a few scriptures out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. It'll be up there on the screen. So what do you do when times are good, when things are going well? And really, this is just universal truth. But for what we're talking about today is especially when things are going well. If you're going to stay the course, if you're going to stick with what God has for you, in verse 6 it says, observe the commands of the Lord your God. In other words, don't move away from his word. Keep it before you. Observe the Lord's commands and walk in obedience to him. Just because you know truth doesn't mean you walk in it. I got two kids that remind me that every day. And if I really wanted to, I could just go look in the mirror and see it too. Just because I know it doesn't mean that I walk in it. But how many of you know that the blessing is in the doing, not in the knowing? Knowing things will make you religious. Knowing things will make you powerless. Doing things can put the power of God at work in your life. So it says, observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him and revering him. That means having reverence for him. So how do I reverence God? Well, let me finish reading this verse. It says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. How many of you know that that's a promise from God to you today? Is that God wants to take you from where you are and bring you into a good land. And you're like, well, I'm in a good land. God's got something even better. If you'll continue walking with the Lord, God has something better in store for you. So how do I reverence God? How do I, how do I, I really honor God? It's by knowing and walking in obedience to his word. I mean, yes, we can worship, and, and that is honoring to God. But you can also sing the words of a worship song, and yet your heart be totally detached from the words that you're saying. Jesus actually told a group of people that you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far away. If we want to put it in some modern vernacular, you could say it this way. Your lips is moving, but I can't hear what you're saying. Why? Because we're just singing a song. It's not really worship. So, and you, I would encourage you to go and read this chapter. I'm just going to highlight a couple verses here. So that's verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. In verse 11, because he's talking about this good land that God's going to call them into. And he gives them a warning in verse 11. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. In other words, when you get there, when you get on the other side, when you get on the other side of your breakout, your breakout moment, that thing that you've been believing God for, and it happens, don't forget the Lord. Says, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. He says, you could even go as far into verse 17 and 18. You may even fall into the trap and say that my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, this blessing for me. He says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and who confirms his covenant. You're like, oh man, we put in some work, man. Our relationship is better. Our family's better. Yeah, but who helped you get there? Oh, man, I, I, I finally, man, that, that financial break I've been praying for, I've been believing God for. And now all of a sudden we forget about 
honoring the Lord with the first fruits because now I don't, I'm not desperate. So I, I, I sowed seed when I was desperate, but now that I'm not desperate, I don't need to sow the seeds. But do not forget the Lord. Do I need to elaborate on that? Tell you what it means in the Hebrew? It means do not forget. Don't let it slip your mind. Don't forget the Lord. That new promotion that you got, you're like, oh man, my, I, I've been hustling, I've been getting it, I've been working hard. Yeah, but who gave you the favor that opened the door? Now, and, and there's two sides to this. God can open a door, but you get to decide if you can stay in that room. Because God can give you favor and open a door for you to step in. But if you don't do a good job, guess what? You're going to walk right back out that same door. Because God got you in there, but you didn't do what it took to stay in that land. See, we talked about this there in First Peter where it talks about having to deal with pride. How many of you know that, that the first sin in the Bible was not actually Adam and Eve eating of that apple? It's actually not. The first sin was found in Satan, which is why he got kicked out of heaven. And it said that pride was found in his heart. That was the first sin. Because that happened before Adam and Eve ever got here, before they were ever created. And so the enemy will always come at us and try to get us to take more credit than we deserve or that we should take. And it doesn't mean that we should just have a, a terrible sense of who we are. We were just singing about it, is that I'm confident in who God has called me to be, but I'm also keenly aware that I can't do what God has in front of me without his help. There's a tension that has to be maintained. It ain't me, but I'm also not worthless. I got to come in the middle. And it's a partnership, and there's a partnership for you and God. And, and so we have to be careful not to take too much of the credit. Uh, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says this, is that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we need to be careful when times are good, favorable, but also when things aren't so great. I mean, either side, we can think that both of them are our fault. We can take too much credit, too much of the responsibility of that moment. And what we need to do is to turn to the Lord in both and say, God, I'm trusting you to help me navigate this moment. And so this morning, I want to show you, and I'm really going to kind of bullet point these next few points, because I want to show you several examples of where uh, I believe that Jesus, even as he's approaching uh, what we call Resurrection Sunday, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of this where there were kind of highlight real moments in some way, but where the enemy was also trying to do something to Jesus to get him to get him to lose focus. And ultimately, his hook is pride. So that's why we started with that. But now I want to give you some examples. I think I have four of them. So I'm just I'm not going to really I'm only going to talk about one, but I'm going to give you a couple and I'll share about each one. I'll tell you where they are. But I mentioned this a moment ago in Jesus baptism. He comes to the River Jordan. John the Baptist is there. And he's like, hey, man, I, I need to get water baptized. And, and John's like, oh, no, 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 I, I can't, man. I'm the prophet, but 
you're the Messiah. Like, I, you should be baptizing me. And, Je- and Jesus is like, hey, this needs to happen. And God had already told John the Baptist, he said, hey, when you see the Holy Spirit descending upon one, on, on the one, that's the Messiah. So this is the confirmation. So you've got John the Baptist who's like, I'm pretty sure Jesus is the dude. No disrespect, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's the man. I'm pretty sure he's the Messiah. But he baptized him just like we did this morning as he was raised out of the water. It says that he could see the Holy Spirit descending on him. Again, like a dove, the Holy Spirit is not a bird. It's a, he, that's a symbol. So I don't exactly know what it looked like, but the writers of the scripture said he descended like a dove. I don't know what that looked like, but take it for what it is. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. He's not a bird or an animal. But in this moment, God interjects. It's a powerful moment. And God opens up the heavens and speaks and says, this is my son, which is identity. In whom I am well pleased, which is approval. Now, I don't know if you know this. We all need approval. You may be like, well, I don't really care about words of affirmation. We all need approval. We all want it. We all need it. Every, I don't care how introverted, how like antisocial you might be. You still want somebody. Everybody don't have to approve you, but you need somebody that does. And everybody, every one of us needs. And so in this moment, here's Jesus has this just amazing moment. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I got baptized, God didn't talk to me. I, I mean, I didn't see anything falling from heaven. I didn't hear like a voice. I mean, it's pretty spectacular. And on the heels of this, now you can go read this in Matthew chapter three, round verse 16 into chapter four. And it says right on the heels of that, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted and tried. Mountaintop experience, wilderness. Now, thankfully, Jesus gave us the pattern on how to overcome the enemy. Every time the enemy came and said, hey, you hungry? Got a rock there. You could turn that in some bread. I mean, if you're really who you say you are, if you're really, because, and, what, and what the enemy is doing, and this is what he does to us, is he's challenging Jesus' identity. He didn't go after the approval that God gave him. He was challenged. If you are the son of God. In other words, hey, prove it. I heard God too. I heard what he said to you. If you're really the Messiah, then just prove it. And he tempts him. Three different ways. And every time he responded. The word of God says, man shall not live by bread alone. Hey, if you want to, if you want to just skip the whole like beating, crucifix, grave, you want to just skip all that? I'll just give you the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus says, no, this has to be done a certain way. But you see, I mean, that fast. You go from a mountaintop to a wilderness, just boom, and the enemy's right there. See, Jesus was staying focused. Another one. This is, you can find this actually in uh, Matthew 21, Mark 11. It's also in Luke as well. But we call it the triumphal entry. That's what we, I say we call it, that's what the Bible calls it. That's the reason that we call this Palm Sunday. Because Jesus rode upon a donkey into Jerusalem and people took palm leaves and they began to lay them on the road as Jesus came in. And so we, that's, that's where the name Palm Sunday comes from. And really what it was, in a sense, it was like the coronation. You know, like when, uh, when a team wins the championship game, they have parades there's banners and confetti and music, and everybody's like, whoa! Start singing, we're the champions. And 
This is kind of that moment for Jesus a little bit. So let me say it this way. At his baptism, Jesus gets recognized by his father. In the triumphal entry, the people recognize Jesus. Now, you have to understand culturally what's going on because the people of the day and of the time were looking for a leader who would overthrow the Roman government because they were in occupied territory. They lived in Jerusalem, but they were not in charge. They had enemy occupiers. The Roman uh, government had set up. They, They didn't pay taxes to Israel. They paid taxes to Rome. I mean, you know, I mean, it's almost tax season, right? How many of you don't like paying taxes? Be honest. How many of you would not like paying taxes if you just straight went to another country? You think you don't like paying taxes right now? You're like, at least I feel like I get some sort of kind of benefit right now. But if that money was just straight leaving the country. And so when... The, the idea that the Jewish people had was that when the Messiah came, he was going to right the ship. Man, we're going to have our cities back. We're going to have our land back. We're not going to be underneath these Roman people anymore. They're not going to be oppressing us anymore. They were looking for a geopolitical shift. They were looking for a natural They were really looking for a conquering king, like, and and really, and there's reasons why they believe this, but they believe that somebody like David was coming back. David was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was scrappy. That's why I like David. And he was conquering, man. He he just had conquests, and David just, he knew how to get it done. And that's who they thought Jesus would be. And so, man, they're excited. They're celebrating like, we're, like we're going to celebrate early. It ain't, we ain't even conquered yet, but we're going to celebrate it. Say, so well, why would you, why, how do I come to this conclusion? If you back up in Mark chapter 10, the disciples are already jockeying for position. Two of them come. In Mark 10, and they come to Jesus and say, hey, can we have a, a seat at either side on your left and your right hand? Why? Because they're already thinking Jesus is about to blow this thing up. It's about to get good, and I'm trying to get my spot. Then the other 10 disciples found out about the two, and they were all ticked off. So Jesus comes into the triumphal entry. You're like, I don't know if I believe what you're saying about what they thought about Jesus. Keep reading. Jesus rides in on a donkey, gets off the donkey, walks into the temple with a whip. Hello, my favorite Jesus in the Bible. I'm dead serious. People like got Jesus with sheep and kids. I'm like, I need an Indiana Jones kind of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, that whip, he can do something with it. And he literally starts flipping the tables and chasing people out. Clearing the temple. This is who the people thought was coming. He's starting in the church. Here it goes. This is the moment. And right on the heels of that, the scribes and the Pharisees are plotting. Let me just give you a thought. You got to be careful. Because sometimes those in the crowd have knives behind their backs. And while some people are shouting your praise, other people are scheming your demise. 
And just as it was with Jesus, the enemy will use people and we're not aware of it. And see, here's the thing. The disciples were completely clueless. Jesus tried to tell them multiple times. Guys, this is, I'm going to die. They're like, oh no. I mean, of course, Peter, you got to love Peter. He's boisterous, you know. It's like, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the grave with you. And he's like, hey, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Which I do love the compassion of Jesus. I really do. People always give Peter such a hard time, which in one way I'm like, the brother didn't quit. Who showed up at the birth of the church was Peter. And I love how Jesus, even in his moment, in this moment where Peter says, hey, I'll never deny you. I love this statement that says, hey, Peter, after you've fallen, come back. Remember, I still have something for you. Somebody needs to hear that today. Is that you've given up on yourself and God says, no, I, I just come back. Even after you've fallen, just come back. I, I, I still got something for you. Just don't run away. Because, man, it would have been easy for Peter just to run away and disappear into history as a footnote. But instead, he becomes a pillar of what, the work that God wanted to do. So we have the baptism of Jesus, climactic moment God speaks. This triumphal entry where people recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, that's, I mean, they're singing his praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna as he's riding in town. It's a parade. It's a scene. Here's another one. We call it the, the Mount of Transfiguration. You can find that this, one of the references to it comes in Luke chapter 9. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. And he has Peter, James, and John there with him. And then all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up. And the Bible says that, that you know, you, like you read about Moses in the Old Testament, it says he went into the presence of God, and when he came down off the mountain, they're like, well, yo, we got to put a veil over you, and not like a wedding veil, like a cloth, because you're glowing like the sun. He was reflecting the glory of God. And here on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that as, even as Jesus is talking with Elijah and with Moses, that he begins to shine with the glory of God. And, of course, Peter, because he's, he's like, Jesus, we're going to set up, we're going to set up some statues. Y'all need a house. Like, we're going we're gonna to set y'all up right. We're going to get you one, Moses one, Elijah one. This is amazing. And you know what Jesus says to him? Don't tell a soul. What do you mean don't tell a soul? I got, I got this Instagram ready. Like, post. It's going down. The prophets are showing up. Which is interesting if you go and read. Because the Bible actually tells us what the conversation was about. Between the two prophets and Jesus. Is they were confirming what he had to do. So we see approval from multiple people here. Number one from the father. Number two from the people. Number three from the prophets of the Old Testament. Which represent the law and the prophets. They're the two key figures of the Old Testament, primary key figures. If you're unaware of this, the Bible actually says that Elijah for sure is coming back. And another prophet, which some people, is debatable. I have my own belief. I believe it's actually Moses. It's just my opinion. Other people believe that it was another guy because it says he never died. There's only people in Scripture that technically never died. Moses, it says he died, but nobody knows where he went. 
But if they, the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses shows up, why wouldn't he show up in the book of Revelation again? The Bible talks about this, that in the last days that two prophets are going to make an appearance. And they'll be untouchable for three and a half years. And they're going to do amazing things. And then they're going to get killed. And everybody in the world's going to watch it. I don't have my phone on me at the moment. But, you know, we all walk around with the ability to watch live TV anywhere in the world. You do realize that 40 years ago, that technology wasn't even available yet. Especially not portable. We have access to information like we've never had. And that's very true. You know, there's more phones in the world than people today. Do you know that? There's more functioning phones today than there are people in the world, not just in America, in the world. I just read that a couple weeks ago. I was like, man, because I always think like, oh, those other countries, they ain't got phones. Oh, no, they do. Now, I want to take and I want to unpack a fourth one here. And this is right before Jesus is betrayed by, by Judas. And yet again, he's trying to help the, his disciples, those who have been walking with them, get prepared for the moment. See, here's the thing is that I, I, I've seen and I believe even from what I can see in Scripture. Is that God will always prepare us for what's coming if we're paying attention. Even if we're not a, fully aware, God prepares us. He will try to get us ready for anything that comes. And yet, but we'll, we'll kind of, for lack of a better term, and we get lazy. We just kind of relax. Like, oh, things are good. But yet the Bible tells us to be alert, be sober. In Matthew 26, we're going to read a couple of scriptures here, about six scriptures, seven scriptures. Matthew 26, verse 37 says that uh, Jesus takes Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed, and he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, I don't know the despair or the pressure of this moment, but Jesus is coming out of, you got these moments, the baptism, which I was a Three and a half years prior, but the triumphal entry, this was that week. Like within the same seven days. The mountain with the prophets. Man, he he still got these high level moments that he could be like, man, look where I'm at. Look what's going on. And yet here he under, he, he hasn't lost sight of what God is doing. And sometimes in the blessing of God, we lose sight of what he's doing in us. And here he says, my soul is crushed to the point of death. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. Says he went on a little further and he bowed his head to the ground praying, Father, if it be possible, let the cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He found them asleep. Now, what was his instructions? Keep watch. If you tell somebody to watch the back door and you come to the back door later and they're asleep, what good are they? You had one job. Keep watch. Don't go to sleep. So he finds them asleep and he says to Peter, could you watch even with me for one hour? Says, keep watch and pray 
So he gives him an additional instruction. Keep watch and pray. Hey, you can't stay awake, start praying. He says, and pray so that you will not enter into, or that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, it's the flesh that's weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Then he returned to them again, and he found them sleeping so they, because they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went a third time saying the same thing again. Then he, told, and then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep because you're, or it says, Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's get up, or let up and let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. See, in this moment, Jesus understood what was happening. And he knew it, and he was trying to tell these guys, like, hey guys, I've been telling y'all. I've been telling y'all the way this was going to go down. Y'all thought that, uh, you know, all these other things were going to happen. You thought I was going to set up an earthly kingdom, but my, the, the kingdom that Jesus came was not earthly. It was eternal. He wanted something that would outlive everything else. Heaven and earth will all pass away. But what? The words of God, the kingdom of God, it will last forever. And that's what Jesus came to establish. And when I talk about the kingdom of God, what is it? It's God's rule. It is God's reign. In other words, it's God's agenda. That's his kingdom. What he wants, how he wants it. That's what the kingdom of God will look like. And you say, well, what does that look like? How about no lack, no disease, Those are pretty good just to start with. Peace beyond anything we've ever known. This is the kingdom of God. See, Jesus never lost sight of the mission that he came for. He kept his eyes up. He kept looking. He was paying attention. He wasn't getting lulled to sleep. He, he knew he had an enemy who was coming. And he was trying to tell the, the disciples here. He says, guys, you've got to pray. You've got to keep watching. You've got to pray. Why? Because the enemy's going to come with some temptation. And if you're not where you need to be, and if you're not, uh, don't have, uh, haven't been spending that time to pray and to develop your spirit, man, you're going to give in to the temptation. So what's the lesson? What's the big idea for you today? Yes, I want you to pay attention, but I want you to pay attention for a reason. Because temptation can come in any season. Good, bad, great, terrible. The enemy does not play fair, but he does play for keeps. Absolutely. He plays for keeps. And so today, I I want you to realize something. And please hear me when I say this. Is that we, we, kind of circling back to where we started, is that we all need a pretty healthy distrust of self. The key word there is healthy. I don't want you to be paranoid. I don't want you to be insecure. But we need to have a distrust of, I got this. I can do this. I'm good. We're not as good as we think. And we need to have a, a healthy distrust of self. Because why? When we have that, it leads us back to humility. It leads us back to this dependence upon God. And here's the truth, is that humility actually brings safety. 
It's when we allow pride to creep into our heart that we get off track. It's when we allow, when we take the bait of Satan and, and we begin to, to be, begin to think of ourselves more highly than we should, that things become unstable. But if we'll just continue to make the decision that I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. I'm going to humble myself in the hard times. I'm going to humble myself in the good times. Why? Because everything that I have came from him anyways. Every good and perfect thing has come from him in my life. It's not mine. It's a gift to me from him. So humility is really the leaning of my entire person, your entire person. Who you are, everything about you upon the grace of God. Paul says it this way, I am that I am, but it's by the grace of God. Like, hey, I know who I am and I'm confident in who I am, but it's by the grace of God that I am who I am. So we want to lean upon God's grace, God's mercy, God's love for us. In Romans 8, it says this, and, and I want to encourage you with this today. Whatever you're facing, you may be here and be like, man, a mountaintop, bro. I'm in a valley. Like, I'm, I'm facing, it's right. <laughs> you talk about the struggle being real. Yeah, it's right here. I've got good news for you today. And it is, the, it really is the, the, what makes Easter so special and why we celebrate it. We celebrate it so that we don't forget, for one, because by nature we're forgetful people. But if you're struggling today, I want to encourage you with something. It comes out of Romans chapter 8. actually writing to people in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a lot of, of hard times. Romans 8.37 says that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. He says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Overwhelming victory is yours today. Through Christ. Not in of yourself. Not on your own. But when you'll submit yourself to him. When you'll turn the lordship of your life over. Last week we, we, we were part of talking about our um, family matter series. I was talking about inner vows. And talking about those are areas of our life where we've made ourselves lord. Yeah but we've got to make Jesus the lord of our entire life. Not go through and pick and choose the ones that we want. Either he's lord of all. Or he's really not Lord at all. So we have to surrender our, our, our entire self onto him. And say, God, man, I'm trusting you with my best parts, my worst parts, the things I understand. God, I trust you in the things I don't understand. And I need your grace. And so today, I, I want to pray. You may be here today and you've never, never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never surrendered. You may have been like me. And man, I prayed lots of church prayers. Jesus save me and then I just went back doing my own thing. I come back, Jesus save me, forgive me. I've been bad. But there came a point where it just had to be like real. It wasn't just lip service, it was heart service. And it was God, I, I need to surrender my heart to you. And Jesus changed my life in a moment. I mean, I grew up going to church. If anything, it made me more cynical. And but that's because of me, not because of the church. But then I met Jesus. And things began to shift. I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still not perfect. Far from it. Don't pretend to be. Don't want to pretend to be. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, go find a different church. <laughs> I ain't that dude. I'm just telling you up front. 
But if, if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, I don't want to get caught sleeping at the wheel. Man, the enemy's been working and doing some things and I've not been paying attention. We talked about, we sang about it earlier, is that I have the authority. How do you get the authority of Christ? You surrender your heart to him. And the Bible says that when you surrender to him, you get everything that he has. And so I want to pray this morning. I want to lead you in a, in a prayer just to uh, receive salvation. You may be here today and you're like, man, I, I've never been really been saved. I, maybe you've never meant it from your heart. I mean, that is a key part. The Bible says you have to con- believe in your heart, first of all, and you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord so that you can be saved. And, and so, but sometimes we say it with our mouth, we just don't believe it. So maybe you're here today and that's you. Maybe you're here and you just, you've walked away and you're like, man, I, I came to church this morning because I knew I needed to come back to the Lord. I just want the same prayer for both. But I just want to invite everybody to pray this with me today. But everyone just repeat this with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he came for me. That he paid the price of my sins. I receive his forgiveness right now. I ask you to wash my mind, my soul, of my past. I thank you that right now, that I'm made clean. Like I had never sinned one time before. So Father, I thank you for your grace, for your love towards me. I invite your Holy Spirit to help me walk out this life. I can't do this on my own, but I can do it with you. I thank you for it.